0: Queer life in Montreal was wild. Montreal in the 90s was a great time, but it had a dark side. It was not a safe city for gay people back then. But what else was behind a series of deaths in the city?
1: Somebody's killing gay men. We want to know why.
0: I'm Francis Pouard, and this is The Village, The Montreal Murders. Get early access to episodes at cbc.ca slash listen or by subscribing to the CBC True Crime Premium channel on
1: Apple Podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast.
0: Welcome to The Dose. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Today we're talking about the psychology of re-entering society post-pandemic. We're not there yet. This May-long weekend, Canadians are still facing pandemic restrictions and lockdowns. But the end is hopefully in sight. And that soon could mean putting your hard pants back
1: on. Hi, Stephen. Hi there, Brian. Do you know what hard pants are? Um, when my son was little, he used to enjoy wearing his soft pants, which are kind of like jammies, but so I'm guessing this is what hard pants are the opposite of those.
0: Well, you're way ahead of me. Hard pants are any pants that don't have a stretchy or elastic waistband like the leggings and sweats we've been wearing during lockdown. at hard pants have become a symbol of life after the pandemic.
1: Hi, my name's Stephen Taylor. I'm a professor and clinical psychologist in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of British Columbia. And for about the past four or five years now, I've been specializing in the psychology of pandemics.
0: So just the person we need to talk to. But before there, we're going to get back to hard pants. Last week, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention said fully vaccinated people no longer had to wear a mask. And the Internet didn't let us down with jokes like this one. The CDC recommends everyone start practicing wearing hard pants in two to three hour increments. And the CDC says fully vaccinated people can still cancel plans to stay home and read. I don't think the writer of those jokes has a career in Vegas, but clearly there's some grappling with what it means to go back out into the world post-pandemic. Stephen Taylor, welcome to The Dose. Thanks very much, Brian. What range of reactions can we expect from people as they emerge uh, out into the world
1: again? Based on what's happened in the past and the research we've been conducting, most people are going to be exuberant. Most people are going to be bouncing back and can't wait to get out there. Now, that's not to say people won't feel apprehensive many people will probably feel apprehensive going out to a big sporting event or a stadium concert so but most people will bounce back but that said some people won't and that's the big question of what percentage of people will have important lingering psychological problems that merit treatment post-pandemic so stephen you're saying that some people are going to be too scared to leave their homes Yes. It's going to be a minority, but there will be people, and there were cases in Wuhan where some people stayed in lockdown for months after they were told that they could be released, only gradually emerging when they felt safe. So, yes, this will happen this time around in North America.
0: We've had 14 months of being told that close proximity to other people is dangerous. How do you get over your initial nerves being around people, you know, walking into a restaurant and discovering that the room is full of people who aren't wearing masks or walking into an elevator and finding the same kind of thing?
1: Initially, that's going to be a little unusual. People are going to feel apprehensive. This is different. Um, You know, uh, people might start to worry a little. But I would think, given over the days and weeks after restrictions are lifted, people will bounce back. People will adapt to the return to normal just like people rapidly adapted to wearing masks who would have thought you know two years ago that everyone would be wearing masks but it's the same here when when restrictions are lifted yes there'll be a little bit of apprehension but people will warm up to getting back to their social lives So, so
0: what advice would you give people who are feeling anxious about socializing again
1: Okay, it's, it's normal to feel some degree of apprehension. Now we're changing back into, um, well, for what has been for the last 14 months a new situation. So that's okay. And uh, with regards to anxiety, it's up to you to choose the level of risk you're prepared to tolerate. And some people have a very low tolerance for risk and they're not prepared and they're going to delay getting back to these large gatherings. And that's okay. It's a personal choice. The only time I'd be concerned about anxiety is if it's really um, interfering with your life um, so that you you can't function uh, or it's severe and debilitating. At that point, I would think about getting some help for anxiety.
0: Well, what kinds of psychological effects and mental health issues can we expect to see on people uh, as they emerge from this pandemic?
1: It depends on what happened to you during the pandemic and your history prior to the pandemic. So people with a history of mental health issues prior to the pandemic, such as obsessive compulsive disorder or anxiety disorders, are finding that they're having a tough time during this pandemic, and for some of those disorders, they've worsened during the pandemic, and they could require therapy afterwards. So there's those individuals. Um, For other people, they've lost loved ones, and so they're in a state of bereavement or perhaps depression, which they might require some assistance or counselling. Other people who've been infected and hospitalised with SARS-CoV-2 are at risk for developing post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, which is a severe, often chronic disorder, that would require treatment as well. So there are a range of clinical conditions that are going to require attention in the aftermath of COVID-19
0: so overall with, with with those various categories, how many Canadians will emerge from the pandemic with persistent mental health concerns
1: that 's the big question um, there 's been all kinds of percentages being circulated, and they 're just ballpark figures. But my guess is about twenty percent of Canadians will require or would benefit from some kind of mental health counseling in the aftermath of the pandemic. It could be PTSD, it could be depression could be the uh, substance abuse problems. It could be a range of things. How much more is that than, than would have existed but for the pandemic? It's massive. We, don't, we didn't have the resources to address the mental health problems before the pandemic, and it's going to be even harder now. Just to give you an example um, – There's a disorder called prolonged grief disorder, and it's like grief on steroids where you've lost a loved one and you just don't get over it. It lasts for years and years and years. You have no sense of of experiencing positive emotions. You're constantly yearning for the person who's departed. Severe, severe grief. Now, that affects about 10% of people who are bereaved. And if you look at the data, uh, uh, there's been research on this. For, For every one person that dies in the United States they leave behind an average of 5 bereaved first degree relatives so 5 close family members and if you if you apply the numbers to canada okay 10% prolonged grief disorder Um, one death equals five bereaved bereaved immediate family members. We're we're looking at thousands of people, thousands of Canadians who would develop prolonged grief disorder, roughly 10,000 people or more, the size of a small town. We didn't have the resources or the specialised clinical um, expertise to treat this disorder before COVID. It's going to be very difficult in the aftermath to get these people the help they need.
0: What kinds of mental health issues can we expect those people and the others to have?
1: Um, well, mental health issues like severe depression or anxiety or difficulty functioning in their daily lives, some of those people may become shut-ins. And, and it's, it's um, unfortunate we're a victim of our own success here. We were encouraged for 2020 to make our lockdown environment as comfortable and pleasant as possible. Our shelter-in-place has become a haven and what that's done sure it's made lockdown easier to endure but in the aftermath it's made it harder for people to leave their homes and this is why some of these people may become locked in yeah you're
0: talking about the so-called cave syndrome
1: yeah, it's, it's acquired various names in the media. It's not a syndrome because it could be any of a number of disorders or reasons why people are staying at home. It could be depression. It could be agoraphobia. It could be phobia. But, yeah, the media's latched onto that um, and called it cave syndrome.
0: What would you like to see governments uh, do to deal with this, 20 percent of us, uh, who are going to have one mental health uh, problem or another?
1: Government needs to start right now and be proactive. So far in Canada, we've been reactive. We've been waiting for problems to arise or waiting for things to blow up in our face. We can't afford to do that with mental health. We should be more like China. China, um, the city of Chengdu in Sichuan province, early in lockdown last year, they initiated this big mental health program that involved um, media announcements informing people about kinds of mental health problems and tips. They had a call in line. They had Zoom meetings. Uh, It was widely popular with people in the community. Uh, That was back in March of last year. We should have had something set up like that now. We definitely do need to have uh, mental health programs in place for the aftermath of COVID, things like prolonged grief disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, and other clinical problems. So what advice would you give to someone who is in that 20%? Um, A few things. One is... Return to whatever stress management things you were using last year that you might have slackened off on. And this is what we found with this. We're in a state of pandemic fatigue right now, where people are sick of the pandemic. They're slacking off on the things that they used to do for their, to manage their stress levels. So if you're stressed, um, if you can get back to regular routines and exercise, limit your daily dose of news media. Um, and make sure you get your media from reliable sources. The people who are most anxious are getting all their news from social media and they're spending hours per day. So So if you can limit that, you can reach out to friends and family and see if that helps or try some of the internet or phone-based apps like um, MindShift or the Bounce Back program. Try those and if that's not enough, then I suggest you see your family doctor about a referral to a, a mental health practitioner.
0: And when you say uh, people have been slacking off their habits uh, of coping, you're talking about the healthy habits of coping. They haven't been slacking off on eating and drinking and and in some cases drug use.
1: Exactly. So those things are called emotion-focused coping strategies. So, yeah, the distressed people are tending to overeat, overuse drugs and overshop online uh, as a method of dampening down temporarily their emotions. The problem with those things is they create further difficulties in the longer term. But you're right, as the pandemic has unfolded, people haven't slacked off on those sorts of things, but they have slacked off on social distancing or staying inside their bubble. People have been progressively growing weary of these restrictions. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back in a moment.
0: I want to steer the conversation towards uh, some potentially good topics. There's been a lot of talk about the second Roaring Twenties. We did an episode of White Coat Black Art earlier this season. So what do you think? Are we in for a decade of hedonism and fun?
1: I wish. (laughs) No, we're not. (laughs) Um, The Roaring Twenties were created through a a confluence of, of things, not just the pandemic of 1918, maybe had some slight impact on the roaring 20s uh, in the 20s, but it was largely economic and technology-driven. I think what we're going to see here is um, a miniature little blip of a roaring 20s, maybe a week or two of it. It's going to be nothing like it was way back in the 1920s, but there will be a short period of hyper-sociability. But I think what's going to dampen things a little is the way this pandemic ends, which I don't think a lot of people in the community have thought about. We're not going to wake up one morning where the head of the WHO is going to say, oh joy, COVID is gone. (laughs) That's not going to happen. We're going to wake up one morning and the WHO will say, okay, infection levels are low enough that COVID-19 is endemic. Uh, People are still getting sick and dying in communities, but we're going to declare the pandemic is over and open up the communities. The WHO will call it a post-pandemic phase and we will enter the world in the post pandemic phase where covid is still existing so that's going to put a damper on this kind of roaring 20s sort of um, sociability but i think from all indications we we will see a short-lived hyper sociability
0: does it mean then you know if 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 the pandemic doesn't just end and we just go back to to the pre pandemic uh, lives that we led before does that does that have an impact on on the ongoing mental health challenges that will occur because we don't get this clean break where it's all over and we can just go back to the way things were
1: Uh, we're adaptable human beings the problem with human beings is we're too adaptable we're like cockroaches we've overrun the planet we've survived countless pandemics do you know there's been about 20 pandemics in the past 200 years um, and we've survived them all so most people will bounce back not everyone but most will so,
0: you know, we're starting to to talk about something that 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 I you know certainly has been on my mind: uh, the distinction between people who have a hard time, who are likely to have a hard time coping, and people who don't. Um, you've studied resilience in the pandemic, and I know that I'm using that word in in inverse quotes because a lot of people have trouble with that word because they 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 associate it with you know, blaming uh, the person who's suffering from problems. So what do you mean by resilience?
1: What I mean by resilience is the ability to bounce back from stresses. So you might go through something very stressful and you might feel distressed during that episode. could be a pandemic. It could be something else. But, but then afterwards, you bounce back. That you show the emotional fortitude and strength to recover from a temporary adversity and so resilience during COVID-19 is demonstrated either by people who uh, are coping fine and don't experience any degrees of anxiety or depression now they're sort of unusual because most people are touched in some ways by this pandemic but resilience is also indicated by people who are having a tough time right now, who are not sleeping well, who feel jumpy or on edge, but recover completely and bounce back uh, after the pandemic. And that, those resilience, things that promote resilience, are really two things. One is the resources you have in your life. So if you have an apartment and you can afford food and you have a job, and you're not under extremes of crowding or isolation. They're going to promote your resilience. And, of course, personal factors too, of having a sense of optimism, of having a plan, of having coping strategies. All those things can contribute to personal resilience.
0: I, I have to ask you, how much does economic privilege play in building resilience? Because you know, certainly one of the highlights, or you could call it the lowlights, one of the, the, the most difficult aspects of the pandemic has been the way hard hit communities have been hit and why they've been hit and the economic disadvantages that they have that have put them in that place.
1: The, the people who are the economically most disadvantaged during pandemics, they've always been hit the hardest. If you go back to the bubonic plague or the Black Death in the Middle Ages, The hardest hit initially, anyway, were were people in the poorer people. What happened back then, cities like Verona or or Venice, during the plague, the the well-to-do people fled. They fled the cities, they fled the plague out to the countryside. So they they had the resources to cope better. Unfortunately, what happened then is the the, the well-to-do people escaped the plague for a little while, but they brought the plague with them to the countryside so they brought the problems with them. But, but in general, the more resources you have, if you have an apartment that's not too crowded, that's not too lonely, that if you have financial resources, if, you're, if you have a home to live in, if you're not in prison, if you have all, all those goodies, you're going to be coping a whole lot better.
0: What can people do to cultivate resilience?
1: Um, there are a bunch of things. At an individual level, you can, you can start asking yourself, well, what, what can I do in terms of stress management? even simple things for um, a manage, a managing your your physical well-being, even the simplest things like getting out and exercising and going for a walk every day can help inch up your resilience. But resilience just is, doesn't, isn't located in one place. Resilience is inside a human being. It's in our society. It's in our links with one another. We can make communities more resilient by bringing people together, by having... Uh, community support programs, um, things like that. So that that can trickle down to influence individual resilience. So there are are a host of ways, both community-wide and individual, that can improve people's resilience.
0: What do you think your findings tell us about what we can expect from the next few
1: years? My big concern is we'll treat this pandemic as previous pandemics will be treated. My concern is that once COVID-19 has passed, We will forget the lessons of the past and move on. Do you know in 2019, the US government, just before COVID broke out, they dismantled their pandemic preparedness program. Let's talk about bad timing. Um, But this is my concern, that we tend to be myopic. We tend to forget the lessons of the past and move on. At a community level, we forgot the lessons of the Spanish flu and moved on. We can't afford to do that anymore. We need to remember the lessons of COVID-19, for example, remember we need to be proactive and devise mental health resources that can be uh, accessible by people in commute, rural communities and everywhere else. We need to have those programs maintained and running, not necessarily for the next pandemic, which will be coming in the next years to come. Who knows how long that will be, but there will be more pandemics. But there will also be the cl- challenges of climate change as well, flooding, droughts and so forth. So we, we need to... Uh, prepare for mental health challenges on a wide basis.
0: You have written and you speak about something called post-traumatic growth. Can you talk about what that is?
1: That was a phenomenon identified in the, um, oh, I guess, early 90s. Researchers studying survivors of natural disasters, and they found that that for many of them, they didn't just bounce back and return to where they were after going through this ordeal. They actually grew as human beings, so they became stronger, better human beings. And we thought, wow, I wonder if this is happening with COVID-19. So we just published a study, my colleagues and I, which we surveyed 1,000 people last year and asked them, and these are people who'd not been diagnosed with COVID. These are adults from Canada and the United States. We ask them, well, COVID has been an ordeal. It has been very bad. Many people have become sick and died. But have there been any silver linings for you? Have there been any positives to come out of this? And this is post-traumatic growth. And we found that three quarters of our samples said, yeah, there have been some silver linings. For example, most of these weren't momentous, huge things, but they're important. Things like getting a better appreciation for friends and family, getting better appreciation for the little things in life, deepening spirituality, a deepening sense of personal resilience. So some people have grown stronger as human beings as a result of COVID. I think the big question is, will those benefits carry forth to the months and years ahead or will those benefits dissipate? Will people rapidly start to lose their appreciation for the little things once they get back into Uh, life as it was before? Or will they continue to savour these things? I hope, at least for some people, these benefits continue toward the future. So
0: what are you most looking forward to
1: post-pandemic? Yeah. Personally, I'm looking forward to traveling. However, here's the thing. When the pandemic is over, there's going to be a panic buying of traveling. People are going to be rushing out to travel. So if I want to travel, I'm probably going to have to wait a year after the pandemic is over in order for the crowds at the airports to subside a little.
0: I have to tell you, uh, I'm not looking forward to getting on an airplane and and sitting with people who aren't wearing masks. I'm not looking forward to going to a hockey arena filled with 20,000 spectators.
1: Does that make me a cave dweller? Um, not unless you're living in a cave right now, it just makes you an ordinary apprehensive person.
0: Stephen, you don't know me. I suffer from hypervigilance and I would not tweet a photo of my basement because it does look a lot like a cave these days. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, Stephen Taylor, I've really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Brian. Stephen Taylor is the author of The Psychology of Pandemics. He's also a professor and clinical psychologist in the Department of Psychiatry at UBC. Here's your dose of smart advice. Pandemics aren't just about viral infections like COVID 19. The psychological effects are critical as well. It's normal to feel anxious during and in the immediate aftermath of a pandemic. It's okay to feel wary as you begin to resume normal activities like going to the office. This is a good time to go back to healthy coping strategies like healthy eating and exercise. An estimated one in five people will emerge from COVID-19 with mental health challenges like anxiety and depression, triggered by traumas experienced during the pandemic or pre-existing mental health conditions. We can anticipate a huge demand for mental health services. The best news of all is that most people will demonstrate resilience as they move closer to a normal life. If you have topics you'd like to hear on The Dose or questions you'd like answered, email us at thedose at cbc.ca. You can also tweet me at NightShiftMD or at CBC CBCWhiteCoat using the hashtag TheDoseCBC. You can find The Dose and White Coat Art wherever you get your podcasts. Please do us a favor and rate our shows highly so more people can find us. This edition of The Dose was produced by Willow Smith with digital support from Fabiola Carletti. Thanks to Anne-Marie Carugonjo for technical support. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. But if you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose.